welcome to um, you know another very timely installment of We've Been Had, the show where we discuss or even debate albums for your listening pleasure. I'm gonna turn the monitor down a touch. Uh, I am Keith Pilly, and I'm Chad Cook. And uh, the deal, as always, is we take turns picking an album, and then we both go off and dig into it and come back and talk. This time it was your pick, um, and and care to... It's the Buzzcocks album, Singles Going Steady, which actually, I think technically, is an infringement on our policy because it's a compilation album. You know, I mean, I I think that's a thing we'll have to talk about. Um, I noticed you very, intentionally or not, you uh, (laughs) structured your sentence there to go with the preferred nomenclature of Buzzcocks, since they're... Yeah, they're pretty adamant that, that it is not the Buzzcocks. I somehow didn't know that until today, even though like I've been... you know, I, I, I've called myself a fan of this band for decades and didn't know that right. until... I did not know that either. And I, I'm, I'm going to be pissing all over that tonight. Like, Well, so I guess I'm trying to understand, like... How do you even refer? It's like you have to you have to do some like grammatical gymnastics even to refer to the band, right? Fuck, and like so many, it's like this fucking linguistic virus that extends out. You know, they do it, eels do it, talking heads do it, and I, you know, line in the sand. And like, I'm gonna say the. You're talking about all those bands. I I think that's fair. That's... I, I, it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Like. You know what? You know what? I will meet them halfway. I will not say the in English. They'll be Los Buzzcocks. <laughs> Los Buzzcocks. That, that I think works. Um, the Led Zeppelin. <laughs> well, but I mean, so that one, you know, they don't need an article. Like, that, it's not, it's not plural, for one thing. I think that's what, you know. That's a good point. When you get the plurals is when it gets fucked up. Radiohead, you know, singular, sure, yeah, that that makes sense. If they, if they were Radioheads, then it would sound fucked up without a the. Yeah, no, I, I'm for uh, it. I uh, I will probably still call them the Buzzcocks. I, yeah, I mean, no, I same unless unless they get their courtesy loose. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I wrote out, you know, I looked up the tombstone information for the album. Came out September of 1979, which is kind of interesting timing for UK punk and it's on IRS records which is also pretty interesting that's I uh, yeah um, it's a compilation of singles from 1977 through 79 produced by Martin Ruchent and Martin Hannett how would you describe this album uh, well I mean it's I, I describe it as you know at different different times like the and this is just the way i think about things uh comparing it to sounding like at times sounding like a pure punk album no. i mean at times there are tracks that could be uh on like a like a particle man era they might be giants record yeah um one of the songs sounds like raspberry beret to me <laughs> um and i think um you know, a couple of the songs could be like stroke songs yeah uh so it's kind of all over the place, but I mean, I, I I think the primary thing I think about is is sort of a punk rock album that's that's sort of breaking into that like pop punk or uh, or even like new wave type sound. Totally, you know, it's like the aesthetics of punk without the whole like without most of the program that uh, you know, the other formative so i mean like like i've got this i you know i've got this up front like i have to bro throw this in i have this mental model in the of the uk punk world of the 70s where um you know where the boomers had the the central like stones beatles rivalry that everything revolved around um you know it, it feels like first wave uk punk you know the the centers of gravity are the clash and the sex pistols of course um, you know, in the boomer dynamic, you've got like the kinks off to the side that are like the pretty cool band that real heads, you know, are really kind of quietly more into. And it, it feels to me like 
in that model, that's kind of where the buzzcocks, you know, sit in. Or they're like, they're not the center of gravity, but like that's kind of the the band that like, you know, yeah, music has like, oh no, yeah, they're buzzcocks, yeah, man. The uh, the interesting thing about that is you bring up the like the Clash and the Sex Pistols, and like I don't know anyone that knows more than three Sex Pistols songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't know that the Sex Pistols made, you know. Being as generous as possible, I think there are maybe six or seven that are really worth... I mean, like, the Sex Pistols are, like, this amazing argument for just, like, having the densest possible impact in the smallest possible package, and then nothing. And then doing nothing of note for the rest of eternity. Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, like... Just kind of, I, I mean, it, it's kind of weirdly. It, there's this weird self-referential thing where, you know, for the the year or two that they ran hot, they have now spent decades. At least some of them have spent decades, like undermining everything that they ever theoretically stood for. But that is also like kind of what they stood for. <laughs> so you know, it's it's a weird thing. Oh, Steve Jones seems like he's okay. So. Yeah, I mean he's the he's probably the one that you would hang out with. You're not hanging out with Johnny Rotten. Fuck no. One thing with Steve Jones, and like we're already pretty far afield, but I think about this all the time, and this is very um, you know like now's the time. Every time I hear Steve Jones talk about you know his time in the Sex Pistols, he always refers to uh, the drummer Paul Cook as Cookie and man you don't know how you know sort of damnically he's hanging <laughs> over your head yeah I, that's a risk I've been called that before I'm used to it <laughs> do you, how do you how do you respond when when called you know it's usually some some uh, hybrid of my last name huh? so I'm, I'm good with it fair enough um, All right, Cookie. <laughs> I feel like it's. I feel like when you say it, it's like a pejorative. Yeah. You know, like I, feel it, right? I should be shooting at your feet right. and be like, "Dance, yeah. Cookie." Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So I guess one of the things that's always interesting to me is is kind of like how people come upon music. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just curious how you kind of found the found the. Buzz guy. So I was kind of like, I knew of them, knew of them in high school, but couldn't, you know, like, didn't, couldn't name a song. I was just like, yeah, man, punk music, the, you know. Uh, what, what, like, grabbed my collar and made me pay attention was uh, that movie Ghost World, actually. There's like a scene where Enid decides she's going to have a punk day and, like, dresses up as a, 76 punk and you know the camera just cuts to her listening to what do i get and i was just like oh fuck yeah um you know so it was kind of it was it was late um is that scarlett johansson's character or no bush thora birch, thora birch. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good movie yeah that's a really good movie so that was yeah that was my way in there how about you well, so, I don't know if you remember this, but I, like, one of my first jobs, I worked with this, like, kind of quirky guy who was the uh, CFO of Rykodisc for a while. Yes, yeah. Um, who, unfortunately, passed away, so he's no longer with us. But he was, like, you know, like, I never had an older brother to, like, but he was, like, you know, the guy who would, like, he's, like, you got to check these these bands out. Um, yeah. And he had this amazing music collection. Uh, and so he kind of introduced introduced me to it. Um, he was the guy who like he would have to when he was working for Rekodisc, he'd have to like go into the CC club during the day <laughs> to like pay artists their checks. Man, what a just what a cool fucking connection to to have. Like that is such a yeah. I mean, he he, he had a little bit of a drinking problem, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was an interesting guy. Uh, he's also really into Frank Zappa, and that did not take. Uh, I, you know, Except for My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama, which is a cool. super fun song. Yeah. 
I, I think Zappa fandom is like, you know, religion or baseball. Or you got to get into it early for it to take. It's just so much content. Yeah. Yes. Of, of such varying quality. And yeah, it's so weird. And like, I, you know, I just, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have the, the Zappa gene. It ain't there. Uh, but so, so bringing it back to the Buzzcocks, to the Buzzcocks. Um, do you, I guess when I had my, like my Beatles stones metaphor, you know, I was kind of pre preemptively slotting them in as like this formative UK punk band. And do you feel like that's justified or do you feel like, um, you know, was it's I certainly justified energy? now. I don't know if it was justified then. Um, yeah. I mean, they like, I think there are songs on this album that um, are, I'm amazed we're not on records. Like, well, so that's, you know, that, that's a thing that I, I guess I, I kind of had that bulleted out to talk about as a discrete thing. Like how, I, I don't know, like there aren't that many, for whatever reason, like this model of like, we're going to put out albums, but we're also just going to do singles that are standalone things. Like that's a pretty dead model now, but like that really seemed to be like the operative mode for them. Um, yeah, and I don't know if it was to build buzz or what the... I, I think it was more like what the labels could afford. <laughs> you know, it's cheaper it's cheaper to put out a single and potentially more profitable. Yeah, I mean, I guess I remember during the, during the late 90s or maybe even mid-90s, like, you could buy, like, CD singles. Yeah, which is weird to think about. Um, so, those, like, you'd buy a CD good. that had three songs on it yeah two songs yeah and it'd be like two inches yeah but i you know it, it's a weird thing to me like that's looking back like that used to be the model you know like like elvis's career was mostly making singles and then if if there was an album it was like an album you know the, the word album like comes from the same sense as a photo album of like it's a collection of things um, you know, and like it would just be the collection of singles, um, you know, exactly like this. And so there, there's this weird like this is like this hangover from another era of, of music that is pretty cool. Yeah. And it, um, it, it, uh, it just I guess I don't you know, I, I wasn't into music in 1979. I was barely <laughs> alive, but I. It's interesting to me that someone at a record label heard those songs and was like, "I'm not sure they're good enough for an album, but we'll put them out on single as singles." But I, I think I, I don't know that they were looking at it that way. I think they were just like, "We need, you know, we're excited about the Buzzcocks. We need a single. Okay, we just need content." Then. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like I think they dealt in, you know, it's just, it's so much cheaper to produce. You know, to, to book a little bit of studio time and then do a little bit of engineering and, you know, produce 45s. Like, it's just, you need less cash flow if you're a tiny-ass little punk label. I suppose, yeah. I suppose it's a, maybe it's a business decision. But I think there's also an ideological side to it. I, I just, I remember reading uh, that book about London Calling that I'd never shut up about. Um there's a bit in that where they talk about after London Calling came out, The Clash were really fired up that um, they were just gonna they were gonna have the year of the singles bonanza where they would write and record and release a new single every month and that was gonna be their model for a year and the the record company was you know the label said fuck you no yeah I mean I guess in my view if you write London Calling you just kind of do whatever the hell you want yeah. But, do we need to pause a second so yes. you've got the, the sinking mic stand? Okay, we're, we're back after the uh, mic stand adjustments. Um, we were talking about singles. Um, but so, I mean, there's this thing too that it's fascinating to me that. Um, if you look at like the Stones, they're 
their career, and it's weird that they're still around, um, <laughs> but their career has been long enough that like they started out, you know, in the era of like rock and roll bands just make singles, um, you know, and like their career encompasses the transition from that to, you no, know, we're gonna make albums as unified statements. Yeah, which they did really well for a while. For a while, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they stopped doing that. Yes. Yeah, they had a good run. They did. They're probably one of the better runs. Speaking of them and longevity, that is another thing when I was researching this. So, like, I, I, I kind of realized with this that I, you know, I guess I've been a dilettante Buzzcocks fan as long as I've, I've you know. Um, so, I, I basically knew very little about the band other than that I liked a lot of songs. Um so I didn't know also that they are another band that like they're kind of rolling stones in it. Um you know, like I, I didn't know that they were a band that had a history complicated enough that they need the graph on the Wikipedia page <laughs> with the bars showing who did what. Who's when. in and who's out. Yeah, like I you know, I guess I just assumed that it was this thing that existed around Pete Shelley and you know the, the fact that like there's still an entity calling itself the Buzzcocks after he's dead I'm, I am, I was floored to read he's, that he's been dead for 15 years right I, I don't think it's been 15 but it's been it's been long enough that like yeah I, I I'm not sure what what you would get out of seeing the Buzzcocks without Pete Shelley but I you know it's a tough thing too because like I guess like if so I, I gather there's one original member in it now and if that guy called me and was like hey um you know <laughs> we want to take the Buzzcocks in a Midwestern American direction do you want to join like it'd be tough to say no but you'd, you'd also you'd be like what am I what am I doing here what I, I mean it'd be pretty awesome it just it would be I don't know it's hard it's hard for me to see and maybe they're doing it because they love it but it's hard for me to see musicians that I respect kind of debasing themselves on the on the casino scene yeah no I mean that's not probably not what they're doing but it's tough to I I, I used to draw a super hard line on that I guess I'm softening a little just like I don't know if you get if you got the choice of you know if you're elder remaining buzzcock and you have, you have the choice of doing like casino jukebox shows like that or getting a job. I mean like like what are you gonna do? You're gonna do the show. True, true. And I mean I think in, in terms of jukebox shows, I feel like the Lionel Richie show at the State Fair, like yeah. that guy knows exactly what his audience wants. Like, yeah. he doesn't dick around with new material. Comes out, plays the hits, plays them well, exits stage left. Everyone leaves happy. Yeah, yeah. Even like bringing it back to the Stones again. Like I've kind of you know they've been in their like late career mode long enough now that <laughs> since I've, you were in high school yeah I was like, i've changed my mind on that a couple of times i don't know now i feel like if if old bands want to keep playing and they're playing the older songs that people want to hear like i yeah that i mean the who, stones don't so much bother me it, it, it's yeah. the people that i feel like have to do it so what do you uh, there's one yeah I just saw, I think I knew this and had forgotten it, uh, Wilco touring and they're, they're like touring Yankee Hotel Foxtrot again. And so don't, I don't hate that personally, because um, I saw the Pixies do Doolittle yeah. in, you know, I don't know, 2007, and it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and and I mean I do think if you're if you've been around long enough, I think doing those, like I mean, if you if you got the opportunity to, to go see the Stones do, Exile on Main Street or Sticky Fingers or something, you would totally yeah. you would totally go. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I definitely would. And I, 
I, I think I'm past even feeling weird about it. The Wilco thing, I, I feel a little bit weird about it, but it, it's, you know, it's rooted in like caring too much about specific things in Wilco. <laughs> you know, like to me, playing a Jay Bennett album without Jay Bennett. Yeah, that is a little shitty. Is, you know, I mean, on the other hand, he's dead, so like it's not like they're, sh you know. I don't. I don't know that he'd be invited in if he were alive. I don't think he would. But I mean, I think the thing with that particular album is you've seen so many great shows on that tour that there's yeah. there's functionally no reason for anyone of our generation to go to that because yeah. like you're not gonna beat the show that was at First Avenue for the uh, for the documentary. Right. Like, you're you're just you're gonna be chasing a memory and I don't know I, I you know so like I don't know if that's what these modern day buzzcocks shows are like um, or it feels like there's two ways you can do it you know you can just acknowledge yeah we're a legacy act now and we're playing a legacy show and let's have some fun with it um, I don't know that feels or more you can it. be Alex Chilton that was that was painful to see it's not a highlight <laughs> Good. Speaking of that sort of Jayhawks Golden Smog universe, uh, there was a bootleg of a Golden Smog show where they were talking about Pete Shelley. Really? And uh, one of the, you know, as kind of stage banter. Yeah. And one of the members said, I once slept with Pete Shelley. And I wonder if they knew that he was bisexual when they said oh. that. I don't know, or if it was just like a like a funny joke. Yeah, because huh. I, I feel like if they knew that, then it, it's a little bit of a. Yeah, it kind of it. depends on the. Uh, you know, like it's one of the things where I, I, you need to hear the tone of voice. You need to know. Yeah, right. there's like so many variables with like this. It could just be like ribbing, or it could be kind of a shitty. Yeah, I just I, 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 yeah. I, oh. I, I just remember them talking about it, and I. Uh, do you remember which smog person it was? I do not. It there was a time in my life where I had so many. This sounds so stupid, but I, <laughs> I had a lot of Golden Smog shows on CDs. Yep. And so, like, like they all sort of blend together. For yes. Me. Understandable. Um. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out what the way back in here is well i have an idea what do you got uh i'm just gonna read these two bars to you and you tell me just what your immediate reaction is okay johnny want fucky always <laughs> and always so a l l space w a y s and <laughs> always a l l w a y s one word a, A++, plus plus plus, <laughs> no notes, print. <laughs> Fuck, how do you argue with that? I mean, it, it's amazing. It's <laughs> Which song is that from? Orgasmatic. <sighs> See, so I, I, another one of the theories that I, that, I, that I wanted to run by you here is, uh, you know, like... Uh, again, so like like looking at their peers, um, you know, the Sex Pistols have this kind of agenda of nihilism, of like angry nihilism. You know, like like every song is kind of functionally about like fuck the world because it sucks, and, and the Clash kind of have this agenda of uh, you know angry positivism. You know, the the world sucks, but uh, you know maybe we can do something about it, and. I, I, but like, and both of them also like under the bigger punk umbrella have this also agenda of we're gonna fucking shock you and like you know like like the Sex Pistols are operating at kind of this like Eminem level of like we're gonna work as hard as we can to scare your mom, and I feel like like the Buscocks, I'm sorry, I feel like Buscocks, um, you know, are are coming out of the same mix, but like they don't have as you know, there's no political agenda whatsoever. But they do still have a little bit of the like we want to shock you, punk thing, and like I think orgasmatic is just like straight up like, how can we, fucking scare people? Yeah, and track one. <laughs> it was their first single. <laughs> it's like, all right, here it is. Come out big. 
Um, I'd also like to point out that this song is impossible to listen to at work if you're actually yes. in the office. Yes. Uh, without people thinking you're just a crazy person. But, I mean, it's, I don't know, to me it's kind of, there's like something, so like, I, that song I think exists just to freak out, you know, to freak out the squares. But like, it's, there's something kind of wholesome about it. Like, it's so, it's such a square thing to be upset about. That's true. I mean, I feel, I feel like, you know, there are albums like, like any Misfits album is like, is like, okay, how much dumb stuff can we say in one song? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, you know, it's not my favorite, but I, I, I I am not opposed to it. Like, I'm making someone a mixtape for some reason. I have a tape deck again, and I'm making a mixtape. Um, there would probably be a Buzzcock song on there, but it probably wouldn't be that one. No, I mean, it's probably one of the next two, right? Yeah. Like, What Do I Get? I feel like it's one of the gold standard songs. Jesus, like, songs that so. is... I, I, you know, you, you you were talking about pop punk earlier, and like like that. I just I don't know how you make a better pop punk song than than that. It's it's so fucking perfect. I mean, the way that they drag out the word nights, yeah, and then the and then the drums kick in. Yeah, like, I only get sleepless nights. Yeah, it, like just it just it blows my <sighs> blows my mind every time I hear it. It's, the, just the the, end, the the way it kicks out, like you know, it's. I, I, I guess you can hear stuff like that in the Ramones, but I don't know. It's 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 elevated. I don't feel like there are that many punkish or punk adjacent bands though that have that much crunch in their guitar. I actually that's a thing that I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about the guitar tone. I so like I, I love most of these songs to some level, but I think the guitar I think the guitar sounds like ass all the way through, I think. Um, I kind of like it, actually. I, you know, fair enough. I mean, I like that, like, choppy kind of... I like distortion. I just feel like it it's not recorded well, so it's kind of thin. It's the same thing as the as, as most Husker Du albums. You know, like, it, kind of the same tone. We're going to be here for a while if you have comments on the recording quality of <laughs> punk and hardcore music. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, fair enough. And, like, that's, sure, that, yes, all the way around. I do think some of that is aesthetic. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're, you you brought up Husker Du, right? And their first few albums sound objectively terrible. But then you get to, like, uh, you know, there's a point where it gets to, like, New Day Rising, which actually, which is okay. And then the live album is really well recorded somehow that's like their best produced album by a long shot but then you get into like candy apple gray it's almost like too produced yeah i I think it is but even on that one they you know at that point it's an aesthetic decision there's like all this production gloss and they still choose to make the guitars (laughs) sound just thin as hell um yeah which i mean like i love them but like i don't know i they and the Buzzcocks have this similar, like... I mean, I think some of that is just, like, that sort of DIY... Like, I think they're trying to do that to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Like, they want it to sound rough. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, you know... I, the, bleh. the guitar sound on all these, I can accept as an aesthetic choice a lot better than the drums like the drum parts again like a lot of them they sound great they're exciting they add to the song but if, if you just listen to the drums the way they're recorded it sounds like a guy hitting a cardboard box and yeah do you think that's do you think that's like lack of access to to a good studio or is it yeah i think that you know it's it, it's tough to record drums and setting up to record them well takes a lot of time and if you're trying to do a quick single session you know, you're not gonna take the time. It all makes sense, but but you can hear it. Yeah. So in my notes, I wrote that you know, like if you're not nodding your head or tapping your feet to these two songs, what do I get or I don't mind? Then like you just hate fun. Yeah, I agree. But so there is a thing, and 
you know, I, I'm sorry to like conduct this entire conversation through the lens of the Clash, but that's that's kind of, you know, the thing I know best from this. But it really strikes me, like I read somewhere that um, Joe Strummer had this internal edict for Clash lyrics that um, you know, they could not be about heterosexual love, and and so like. Occasionally, Mick Jones would slip a song in that was just like a love song, and Strummer would be really pissy about it, you know. And then, like, those kind of wound up being big hits, and so yeah. So it was like it was always this source of tension. But like having that in my head, like all these fucking songs are about love. Yeah, no, it's like a it's, it's like a teenage emotion, like you know, like that's you know, like I I feel like that's what all these songs are about. Yeah. It uh, and I do. I mean, I really the good Buzzcock songs. I feel like, like really work with tempo. Yes. And uh, and they just they do such a good job of of like melding the lyrics and the instrumentation so that it, it feels like a it feels like a moving thing. Yeah. You know, like I a agree. like an organism. I never noticed until so the same way when we walked through Uncle Tupelo songs, like I had never until then noticed how much they played with tempo. I, I kind of got the same thing listening to this a bunch of times. Like I never really caught before how many just like weird playful things there are with rhythm. You know, either like it changes or it stops or starts or uh, you know that's just that's a thing they fuck with a lot. To and it's always to good effect. Yeah, um, and I mean, I, I think they. So it's it's just it was interesting listening to the whole thing because it, you know, like if if I was putting it out, I would make some edits. Yeah. Um, because like you need a little bit of that, uh, Joe Strummer. Like we can only have so many songs about you know like lovers lament. Yeah, well, and that's so. I mean, that kind of gets into. I feel like this isn't a fair criticism to make about this record since it is a collection of singles but the thing that stinks uh, just the fact that stinks is like the individual songs are you know they're, they're, they're good to great like none of them are bad most of you know the bass line is pretty high and then the peaks are really high but there's like this sameness to them just in content and in sound um it's kind of the you know probably not by coincidence it's the same as a ramones album where like you love the songs but it's kind of a drag after a while to listen to the whole thing straight through yeah and so it's it's just it's hard after you've come off your you know you've come off your high of what do i get and i don't mind and then you go into love you more which is a fine song on its own yeah. but it's just like and it's just a lot like the other two yeah um and then you you go into ever fallen in love which is another really good song fucking uh, pantheon banger again um uh, speaking of that did you hear the version that pete shelley recorded with uh roger daltrey and uh so let's listen to this lineup roger daltrey david gilmore what the fuck peter hook who is in joy division Elton John and Robert Plant. What, what the fuck? Yeah. No, I did not. No, it's crazy. It's like Jesus a super, Christ. it's like a supercharged version of the song with Elton John playing piano. It's like collision of it's punks re- and the things that punks hated. It, it's really good. Wow. It's, no, yeah. I gotta check that it's out. It's on Spotify. Okay. So, yeah. Jesus Christ. Huh. It's uh, yeah. It's but I mean another so like. You've got, you know, we're probably we're probably done with side, almost done with side one, and you've got three songs that you could really go to bat for as like epic punk songs. Yeah, yeah, like like you just you cannot deny like the these fuckers can just throw shit down, but you know then like there's the sameness and. I'm pretty tolerant of sappy songs, but Love You More, like, Christ, that title. I, I think there might be, like, a, you know, new pop country song with that title. Yeah, 
I mean, I... It's hard, because that's what a lot of their songs are about. But, yeah. Um, except for the song Harmony in My Head, which starts with as like a hardcore song. Yeah. Um, again, not what they do best. Uh, points for trying, I guess. Points for trying. I thought the Everybody's Happy Nowadays. Oh, I love that one. That that song kind of reminds me of a Stroke song. Like, yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing too. I, I I agree. I see what you're saying, and that I think that kind of points to like, what are the boundaries of punk? You know, like no one would call. I think it's pretty widely agreed. Buzzcocks are a punk band. No one in their right mind would call the Strokes a punk band, but you know clearly, I don't know. There's there there became space to just like borrow big chunks of the aesthetic and say like, we're gonna try this out. Yeah, and I think it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the. Yeah, let's let's take a break and then we'll come back to it. Yeah, what the hell is making that sound? That's... And we are uh, back. Um, so we were talking about uh, the, the boundaries of punk and you know other groups borrowing punk elements, and you know these these guys roll as forebears of post-punk. Wow. Yeah, I mean you like so. I think most people would would identify the Clash as a punk band. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like foundational. Yeah. Right. I don't think most people would identify Big Audio Dynamite as a punk band. No. And so, I mean, there's just, you know, there's there is, the driving force behind Big Audio Dynamite was in the Clash. And was like the main musical engine of it. So yeah, you know, there's just there's a couple of there's a couple of things going on that yeah that you know people change what they you know what they're interested in and also you know it's a pretty wide spectrum yeah i mean i i know purists who argue that the first two clash albums are punk albums and then and then they stopped you know and they became something else and i think that's i, I think that's a pretty dumb way to look at it but but that argument's out there oh no we're that's it's not like an asteroid that's gonna hit us. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's the ghost of me having a bumper there. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I feel like the people that would make that argument that that uh, are, are just not gonna be fun people to hang around, hang around with. Yeah, I, I feel like that's like the like like I I love I love punk music. I love the whole punk ethos. You know, I mean, like that's kind of like I've just been pulling that into me my whole life but like the failure mode of it is this shitty gatekeeping like list you know like well you got to do this this and this or you're not a punk I'm which like, is which is the antithesis of what the music is about right which is what i've never understood yes like like yeah you can be bad religion and you know like follow all the rules yeah but you don't have you to you don't have to that you know, that's, I mean, like, like you could swing that around. Like, I, I guarantee there are people, you know, possibly up to including Joe Strummer, who would argue against Buzzcocks as a punk band, you know, because there was no ideological program and because it's all songs about love. Um, and that's horseshit. That's, 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 I, I, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, that's his deal, though. Like something's going on yeah. with him that's driving that. Well, I, I think it was. I, 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 in context, I think he was arguing. He just he didn't want. He didn't want a musical landscape where, like, I guess he felt like that base was pretty well covered. That there were enough love songs out there. People didn't need to be adding more. Um, you know, and that's not. That's like. Make the mu make the music you want to make, though. I mean, right? Like that is a basic human emotion. Yes, right? that like, is part of the human experience. So I mean, I think yeah, it's it, it would be like me telling you know like the new country people like 
stop making music about pickup trucks. But don't you wish they would? Well, I do. Personally, personally I do, yes. Wouldn't their music be better? Well, it would be better for me, but it wouldn't be better for the you know the people that are into that shit. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I, uh, you know, like, I, it, it's just, and, and I think we've talked about this, um, maybe not on the podcast, but in a number of aspects that, like, there is this weird human nature to, like, set up this, like, to set up these, like, guideposts about yeah. what is what and label things as X and Y and not, you know, and have these pointless arguments about what is, you know, like, well, that's, it's like, when you say new wave, do you mean first wave new wave? Or yeah. do you mean... Uh, are, are, are the synths analog or digital? Right. Because it matters. Yeah. It, it's just it's sort of a waste of time right yeah it's you know like and there's this thing where like it is trying to draw lines around things is fun as a bullshit conversational you know as a conversational game basically where you know there's no stakes to it like it can be kind of fun to argue i don't know you know is uncle tupelo a country band or a rock band or you know just that kind of shit uh, but like when you start excluding people and shutting down experiences from yourself, like that sucks. And and again, that's like that's the failure mode for punk. That's... Yeah, and this is a little bit of a behind the curtain of the podcast. But uh, Keith and I went uh, with a bunch of other guys and rented a cabin a couple years ago, and one of them brought a magazine that said. <laughs> It said Aerosmith, the greatest American rock band. And the arguments generated from that cover were like six hours yeah. of discussion around. Yeah. <laughs> All with, you know, in the ideal state for that kind of shit with like no stakes and right. no. Just... <laughs> Heated emotions, maybe, but no one taking it even the tiniest bit seriously. I even went to bat for the Rolling Stones as the top American rock band. They're not, they're not even Americans. <laughs> so on the uh, on the speaking of just nationality, one of the things I wanted to throw out here: Where do you stand on the question of where you know who really gets to claim punk? Is it an American phenomenon, a British phenomenon? Is it a stupid question? I mean, I, I guess I always associate it as a British phenomenon, but I mean, in some ways, it is kind of a stupid question. I mean, it. I, I think of the, you know, it kind of depends on, you know, like where you, you know, kind of where you start to get to punk. Yeah. And you know, there's just there's a lot of, you you need to do a like a Jack Black style school of rock like diagram, and you know, like I think you would see that. I think what you'd, what you'd find is that, like, a lot of music just, you know, is kind of cross-pollinated. Yeah. I think... Where I, do you stand on that? I'm, I'm an Americanist. I, I think... I think you... Black flag? <laughs> not black flag. I think, you know, but, like, like uh, the, the Stooges and the Ramones and, I guess, the New York Dolls okay. are kind of the, the proto, you know, and, like, I think all of the British groups were... Listening to them, um, you know, and it, do you count like MC Five? I arguably, you know, as as like one of the that weird Archaeopteryx thing that was kind yeah. of half dinosaur, half bird. But you know, I, again, like I, it, ultimately, it is a pretty stupid question because like the Ramones are what they are, and you know, I don't know if. The, the weird thing about the whole manifestation in the UK is like so much of it is built around this weird um, marketing ability that Malcolm McLaren had to like you know sell you know like the Ramones didn't think they were starting a movement they just you know they couldn't play the Beach Boys <laughs> um, they definitely did not think they were starting a movement you know, but Malcolm McLaren like assembles the Sex Pistols like with an agenda you know as a thing to sell and like everything you know all UK punk kind of flows after that 
you know, uh, every, every other UK band talks about like seeing the Sex Pistols or even just hearing about the existence of the Sex Pistols catalyzed them. You know, that was part of the Buzzcock story too. Um, and so like, you know, the idea of it as a unified, like, no, this is a, this is a package, you know, this aesthetic and philosophical package, like that's, that's in the UK. And like, it's weird to me that you can kind of trace that to one guy. Um, one shitty guy. So that's that's an interest. That'd be an interesting essay topic for you, like the uh, the Sex Pistols as K-pop or as you know, like boy band. Right, but I mean, it's it's legit. They were you know they were assembled. They were they had an impresario put the and the Clash too. Like the that uh, you know, fucking Bernie Rhodes was like this just associate of McLaren's. It was like, well, I'm going to get my own band and. Uh, I, it's like this great case study of how things, you know. Yeah, so I guess the question for me is, like, does it matter if... So, not so much in the Sex Pistols, but... but this, so, the Sex Pistols were really influential to a lot of people that made much better music. You know, the Clash, Clash super influential to a lot of people and made really good music on their own. But I wonder, sometimes it's just that, like, spark that lights yeah. the movement that that gets everyone else excited and, you know, gets everyone else doing doing their thing. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the interesting thing is, like, it, 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 you know, the Buzzcocks were really influential to a lot of people. Right. In terms of records sold, like, of the UK punk bands... There are probably more groups chasing the Buzzcocks who have sold more records, you know, than the Clash of the Sex Pistols. Like, I would guess by like an order of magnitude, you know, pop punk, pop punk sells in a way that political punk does not. I mean, there's, yeah, and it's there is also a there's a melodic element to the to the Buzzcocks, <laughs> yeah. Los Buzzcocks. That is, it, it is different than than a lot of. You know, like you hear the Sex Pistols, and it's it's really raw. You know, yeah. like it's angry. It's th- these are the emotions that you feel, at least that I feel. And then you listen to the Buzzcocks, and it's it's a little more retrospective yeah. version of punk. So it's almost yeah. like pre emo. It is, yeah. I, you know, like the line from the Buzzcocks to emo, I feel like is just you know straight and with no toll gates. It's yeah, um, I. So there's that book that I wouldn't shut up about a few years ago about punks in East Germany. That's a really good book. I like that. That just that thing just. So the book's called Burning Down the House, and it's house spelled German style. So H A U S. Uh, it's by a guy named Tim Moore. But to me, like just a bunch of shit from that book just lives in my head now and one of the things is like these kids in East Germany listening to West German radio stations and hearing punk and being really inspired by it in ways that um, you know that the British punks recording the music never intended or would have thought to hope for you know like 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 everyone in that book talks about being inspired to fight for freedom by listening to the Sex Pistols. And the Sex Pistols are, you know, it's all about fucking nihilism. And, you know, like, if you told John Lydon that, he would just, like, fucking make the wank-off gesture at you. But but these kids, like, some of them were fucking tortured for this. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I don't know. It's that... the The power of a good artistic movement, you know, like, I don't know if you can find a, a better example of that, of something becoming larger than its creators. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only, I mean, there's, there are a few examples. I mean, I think, you know, in the, in the slavery era, in the American South, there, you know, music was a big part of, you know, a lot of, I mean, a very, like, monumentally shitty thing yeah happened but birthed a lot of you know raw emotion 
arguably all like literally all American popular music comes out of that somehow which is fucking just incredible to contemplate and and humbling and terrible and I don't know yeah no it's it's an awful thing to think about but I do think that some of that like I I think hip-hop has that impact on a lot of uh, urban people that you know like like it just inspires them to do inspires us to do things outside of our comfort zone yeah like dream big yeah yeah it's I don't know you know again like often songs that are created in very you know I, I, I guess you can argue that the way the music industry works every song ever recorded is created in like very mercenary situations but uh, you know, Suge Knight does not seem like a very cool, oh, inspiring what, guy. What? But what do you mean? Inspiring music has come out of, of situations that he's... I don't know. We're, we're pretty far afield now. Um, let me swing back. What have I got? Uh, before we wrap up, we should talk about the song Autonomy, which I really like. That one, uh, pitch it. I guess I, I, I don't... Well, number one, I just like the word autonomy. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I just... I, when you think about, like, kind of the... At least when I was, uh, when I was getting into them, you know, kind of what punk rock was about, it was like, yeah, autonomy. That's yeah. what we hate. <laughs> um, and I just I, I, I just love the way the guitars like the guitar works on that song like like it just it, it's this like you, you know this just just scorching guitar and yeah. the guy's just saying autonomy <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a again a very strong Ramones vibe I think yeah, yeah it, it's like uh, I mean something that would sound weird like uh, beat on the brat or something like yeah. that you know like you know like like what <laughs> but it works in the song like, yeah it's like, beat on the brat with a baseball bat oh yeah oh yeah ha, ha. Um, oh I know one just another like punk theory thing I was gonna ask would you say do you know or have you ever uh, do you now or have you ever identified as a punk? Do you ever? No, but I really like punk music. Because um, I feel like I feel like punk is sort of a lifestyle, right? Like, yeah. Like I, I, I appreciate the ethos, but I mean, for better or worse, I've like worked for the man my entire life. So, you know, I think I, at least for me, like I. I don't think you can consider yourself a punk if you're, you know, you know, I think you're, I I think back to that book that you referenced about like these kids in, you know, West Germany or East Germany Mm. who are willing to just like light their lives on fire for this music. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like I never had that level of commitment. I would never, would never have done that. So I think that, it, it's you know that those stories are really inspiring because I'm like wow these you know these kids just just sort of let it all let it all out there like this is this is you know like I'm gonna be this way or else yeah yeah how about you would you identify you you strike me as more of a mod <laughs> <laughs> you know so. It, this is terrible. Like, I've always known like that the rockers and the mods fought, but it's never been exactly clear to me like what the mods were listening to that was so different from I, the rockers. I have no idea what they were listening to. I think the entire subculture is people that ride Vespas and wear vests. <laughs> I think so. I I would say I when I was yeah you know, there was a stretch when I was younger when I identified as as a punk. I'd say and. You know, I I guess now I, I kind of cling on to this, like, old punk idea. You know, it, it, 
I had this realization a long time ago that was like an important thing to me that like realizing that um, American Midwest punk is its own distinct, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a subgenre both musically and aesthetically of punk that like, that that was really what I liked most of the time, you know, and like, like Uncle Tupelo, that's in their punk stage, that's what they were. When, you know, the, the early years of their replacements, that's what they were. Husker Du, that, you know, th this whole, like, punks who wear a lot of flannel, you know, like, it, before, before, before grunge took over flannel as a, as a signifier, you know, it was fucking scruffy dudes in Minneapolis yeah, you know, playing replacements. flannels because cold. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but so like when I was younger, like I guess I did kind of identify, you know, I, I felt like this like tiny little pebble in that stream. And, you know, now like I don't know if it makes sense when you're 47, but I don't know. You know, I feel like if um, a lot of the things that I identify with, like just the whole punk ethos of like do it yourself, you know, we're sitting on my couch right now recording a podcast on my laptop that I'm going to upload to some server space. Um, you know, I'm, I, I fucking keep myself sane with do it yourself art and music projects. Uh, yeah, I work for the man, but, you know, I guess I feel like that's, it's kind of in a negotiated armistice fashion. Not to paraphrase Bob Dylan, but it's the work you do and you do it for pay. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, it, it's a weird thing. Like, I guess I feel like you gotta, one of the most powerful things I think punk does is like, everybody needs an identity. You gotta feel like you're on a team and it's... It's not a bad team to say to try to be a part of. I mean, I would say that I, I would say that Twitter is is probably the like one of the more punk rock things out there because it it, it allows you to broadcast your you know broadcast your views right and you know like that's you know that's the platform is that. Uh, not so Twitter, but that's what all these people would have done if they, it had you know Pete Shelley been, been recording music now. Yeah, he would be this loudmouth who would always be talking about being heartsick. Right. Uh, you know, so yeah. I, I think you're probably closer to it to that, being able to identify as a punk at this point in your life than I am. But I mean, you know, it is this very distinct thing where, like, I I, I know that you know if I went into you know, I don't know. Like if you went into extreme noise, they wouldn't be like. Uh, they would. They wouldn't be like, "Welcome in, sir." So here's the thing about that. So extreme noise is Minneapolis's main punk. Uh, you know, it's a it's a record. It's a punk record store. I actually um, used to work with one of the owners, and he was a fucking accountant at an art museum. Oh, interesting. So, you know, I guess. Case one for like you can work within the system and still have fairly solid punk. Yeah, credentials. I'm pretty sure they thought I was a cop when I walked in. <laughs> but, um, that may just be a may just be a, a me thing. Uh, you know, and y yeah, I I'm sure if I walked in, I would give up. Well, I don't know. I I do just kind of happen to have the default old punk South Minneapolis look. You know, like. I have big glasses and a beard, and that's kind of what a lot of people age into. I feel like though I would overcompensate and like try to like try, try to like say something really witty about a <laughs> punk band, and that would just totally fall flat. I'd say like, "Oh, I was listening to the Buzzcocks." Right, exactly. exactly. Wink and. Like, do you have any IRS records in this <laughs> establishment, sir? <laughs> the fuck you talking about? Oh, I don't know. Punk. Um, <laughs> anything else on 
Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I think we should we should uh, touch on is is just like, what do you think the circumstances were that led to the song "Oh Shit"? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the it's impossible to say because the the number of situations in human life that lead to that are are endless, and that's you know that that's to me like what I love about. That's the strength of these songs, just across the board, is that they are humanly relatable in a way that the other, you know... You don't always give a shit about anarchy in the UK, but you, yeah, I you do, can I always... I don't give a shit about anarchy in the UK. And neither do the fucking sex business. <laughs> and I won't be talked out of that. No, they, they were just looking to scare your mom. But, uh, you know, like... It's like saying that Glenn Danzig really wants to eat your baby today. He doesn't. <laughs> but everyone, you know, like, oh shit, relatable. Yeah, but it's like a, it's like a Mad Libs for the airing of grievances, right? It's like, <laughs> oh shit, insert thing, you know, <laughs> pride comes before the fall. <laughs> Who am I to say no? It's just such a, <laughs> such a strange song. Yeah, I. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean that's and and I do like I think in terms of like punk albums, this even though it's a compilation is one of the best ones. It's yeah. one of my favorites. I I agree. It's it, it's one you got to have. And you you know, if if you don't have it, you're missing out on just so many fucking gems that Yeah, and it's like, uh I don't know. They're like I think we can all we can all agree that a lot of punk records, like they're good songs, and the rest is kind of shitty. Uh, the punk record that is a pleasure to listen to from beginning to end, like it exists, and when it's yeah, good, it's, it's called, a good it's thing. It's called London Calling. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, it, it, it's a rare thing. I'm trying to think of another example. <laughs> yeah, right. Let, let me know when you come up with that. Uh, maybe give him enough, enough rope. I don't know. Stop making sense. Count as a punk album. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, like endless, endless argument there. It, what the fuck are Talking Heads? Well, first of all, they're the Talking Heads. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, I kid. I feel like I'm gonna get sued by David Byrne. He wouldn't sue you. He'd just, he would just menace over me in a giant suit. I... He'd ask you to go to lunch and then quietly let you know that he was very disappointed in your choices. I'm not mad at you, Chad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> exactly. And then you'd walk out feeling like you had to do better. Uh, do um, you want to uh, tee up the our next our next endeavor? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes. Going to keep it in Minnesota. We're going to get deeply psychological. Um, we should try to record this soon because I feel like this is a winter album, so we should record it in the winter. Um, I'm gonna go low, the Great Destroyer. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to see uh, Alan Sparhawk, right? Yeah, that's right. And I have, I I've got a mountain of opinions and thoughts on Alan Sparhawk. I've interacted with him a couple of times. Um, yeah, pretty. Pretty excited to talk yeah. about. It. I just I fucking love that record. I'm gonna try to pin him to the ground. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. And if you did it in the right spirit, I think he might be into it. I think like he's a man who might enjoy a very strange challenge. Oh, um, in the meantime, yeah. So yeah, we'll be back with uh, Lowe's the Great Destroyer sometime soon. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. I uh, I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly, and I remain Chad Cook. And you may find me on Twitter at Cook six two five two. Please uh, please come at him and let him know that you're going to call him Cookie. Great. Um, <laughs> Support it. Beyond that, we'd love to hear from you. If there's anything you'd like or don't like, uh, surely you have an opinion on the buzzcocks and punk as a bigger phenomenon um or maybe you think we fucking suck which you know i'm i'm open to open to debate on that one 
If you dug the show, please tell people. Oh. Not gonna be much debate. I mean, <laughs> we do kind of suck. <sighs> we suck in a fun way. But we carry on. Yeah. Uh, please spread the word if you're into the show. Um, if you're, uh, I guess, if you're not into the show, then uh, keep that to yourself. Or if, if you could tag a boxcar for us. <laughs> yes. Fuck. How exciting would that be? <laughs> right. Fucking exciting. Um, leave a review if you can. In the meantime, we'll be back before too long to uh, talk about the Great Destroyer. Adios. Creepy. Thank you.